0: incredibly successful, but not just in, in real estate. This guy is a dyed-in-the-wool, out-of-the-gate entrepreneur. Started, I believe, and I may be corrected here, but he probably started when he was five years old, knowing this guy's uh, resume here. But started with one uh, cell phone store, built him up into a chain. This guy retired by the time he was like 32 and has gotten into real estate. And to this day is involved in many different entrepreneurial ventures. So I've been so excited to talk to this guy uh, and he's going to fill us in on all the details. He's the CEO of Sloan Capital. He is Justin Sloan. Justin, welcome to Street Smart Success.
1: Thank you, Roger. Appreciate you having me. Looking forward to talking with you. Yeah,
0: you you got it. I was at dinner last night with a Steve Sloan, one of my best friends. Uh, Anyway, that's a Complete irrelevant data point. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, what is what is the backstory, Justin? I know you. I, I, I think you're an Iowan going back to the early roots. But maybe maybe give me the the background story and uh, just for some color here. But I know you've got some amazing perspective here.
1: Yeah. So my name's Justin Sloan. I was born and raised in the state of Iowa, um, smaller town called Cedar Rapids, about two hundred fifty thousand people, which is kind of nice because you know everything's fifteen minutes away and before you know it, over the course of you know a number of years, you know a lot of people. And um, I've always really enjoyed the roots of being here in the Midwest. Uh, but I like to do business other places and and to take the simple things around here and expand them elsewhere. So right out of high school, I started um, working in my own cell phone store. I was actually working at corporate and then took every penny I had in my bank account and became the only employee at my own store Worked there open to close seven days a week until I could finally hire my first employee. And we continued to grow that business and add another store and add another store. And that kind of peaked at a certain point, which I'm happy to talk about. Um, and then that it, it introduced the opportunity of real estate. So started buying some of the strip malls. All right, I mean, it really started with buying a little rental house here or there, working up to multifamily, learning commercial, getting into the strip malls and buying those that I had my stores in and uh, just continuing to compound brick by brick. Well, you know, this is a
0: podcast where I do like the details. So, uh, sure, fill me in on the on the cell phone store. Trajectory. That sounds fascinating to me.
1: Yeah. So I went all in on cell phones. I was, you know, right out of high school. When I was a senior in high school, I started working in a cell phone store, became pretty good at it, you know, learned this idea that if I sold more, I could make more, you know, not just going in and trading my time for a simple hourly wage. But if I worked harder, I could make more money. And that was really interesting. I I grew up with a single mom of three boys and my mom worked really hard, but not necessarily really smart. And so when I figured out that you could work hard and smart, it opened up uh, lots of opportunities. And before I knew it, I was running a store and then um, kind of took the college wasn't for me route and ended up, like I said, taking every penny that I had and putting it into cell phones. And we ran that business for a long time. Um, And then one day kind of a brick wall happened where the company I was selling started to make some really poor decisions. And they weren't able to even have the iPhone because they didn't upgrade their towers enough. So they had to sell off their towers and lease them back in order to get upgrades. So you started seeing the writing on the wall that maybe all my eggs in this one basket uh, is not a good idea. And so that's when I started everything that I could do to look at other businesses, look at other opportunities. And uh, from that, uh, started talking with people about real estate. And I loved the idea of real estate because it was like cell phones, right? Money comes in. There's all these kind of expenses. There's money left over at the end. But I didn't like a cell phone store. I didn't have to be there every day to have that money and to have that income. And so it was a it was an interesting uh, bridge. Got it. So here's the question: No one asks. So and I ask because I was a
0: I was a one of a number of brothers with a single mom. There were four of us, four boys. So which which one were you out of the three? I'm the middle. You're the middle. Okay. All right. So you're. you're <laughs> yeah. All right. I got it. All right. And then how how many stores did it get up to?
1: Uh, at, at different times, we had four to five running. Um, you know, they shifted a little bit as you know markets would shift, and we'd go in and launch a market and sell off that store or things like that. But the most we ever had at any time was five running, uh, which is interesting because now in the last year I've been getting into the restaurant game, as you know, and we've already got five up and running, and then launching ten more in the next twelve months. So. It's a different pace we're, we're we're running at this time. Got it. In between
0: the cell phone, uh, you know, getting uh, exiting that, and now getting into this restaurant concept, uh, were there other uh, entrepreneurial ventures outside of real estate?
1: Not really. So when I I walked out of my final cell phone store when I was thirty two years old. Um, you know, worked the last few weeks, helped my last employees find you know a couple jobs and stuff, and put the key in the door. And for a couple years, that was it. Um, you know, I man, I, I owned some real estate, so it continued to compound and that in the background. But for two years, basically went and golfed and hung out and you know played eighty some rounds a year. And weirdly enough, I, I was bored of it within the first year. You know, the idea of building a business and then all of a sudden my highlight was like, how close did I hit it on number five? It just didn't kind of keep me moving the same. So I did a short little stint um, for an inside sales company, actually somebody I met playing against in a golf match and was able to go and work with some Fortune 50 companies and secure some, you know, some jobs back to our home city here and stuff. But at the end of the day, um, I don't (laughs) I don't do well following other people's rules. Um, I do better kind of being able to create my own thing and live in and, and create my own lanes. And so after a little bit of that, it was, you know, let's, let's look at other options. And then all of a sudden it was COVID. So, uh, that during COVID became really interesting because I had 40, some of my tenants calling me, they're going to tell me they're going to go to business. And, you know, all of a sudden you go into a different kind of mode and it, it begins to show some of the opportunities that can happen from being in that mode too.
0: Got it. So on the real estate front, and this is a real estate podcast, uh, you acquired these uh, script centers. Um, What did your portfolio look like, let's say, heading into COVID a few years ago? I'll just put a pin in that. Time just because you brought up COVID.
1: Sure. Um, Yeah. So I started in single family and, you know, bought one and bought another and then got into fourplexes a little bit and then moved on to commercial. Like I said, I bought a strip mall that I was in and started buying some other strip malls. By the time that it got to COVID, you know, we had a lot of strip malls, Dollar General's, uh, single tenant triple net restaurants, you know, and still probably 15 to 18 single family homes. And so obviously interesting times, you know, and finding ways to work with all sorts of businesses and figure out ways, path forward. But at the end of the day, I only ended up losing one of our tenants and they, they went out of business in the middle of the night, no phone call, no anything just kind of drove by their, the store once and it was gone. So that's unfortunate. But at the same point, we were able to keep dozens of people in business and get creative and find ways through that. And now as we um, are on the other side of this, uh, I'm in a different phase as I've actually sold a lot of my real estate in 20, late 21 and mid-22 and uh, are kind of sitting back as we're watching cap rate shift and interest rates get extreme. And I think it's going to create some more opportunities here in the next couple of years. Got it. Interesting. At your apex uh, prior to selling off these
0: assets, how many strip centers would you say you had and, and, and where were they?
1: Uh, strip malls. Seven, eight. uh, They always vary at different times, right? There's some coming, some going. Like I'm in the middle of another transaction right now, but I mean, it's it's tens of millions of dollars worth of real estate, right? So whether it's number of properties or numbers of units, right? We have one one triple net restaurant that's worth a couple million, whereas there's a strip mall that's worth four hundred thousand. And so it's more of having the diversification within inside the portfolio. And I'm lucky that we had a lot of strip centers, a lot of you know single tenant, very little office um, and so still diversified within that. So I'm very big on even within commercial real estate, not just being all strip malls, but also having restaurants and Dollar Generals and Walgreens, things like that so that you can have a diversification of tenants when different weird things happen. Mm -hmm,
0: Yeah. As, as they do. And, uh, in Iowa mostly? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then you, you said we, a number of times, who's the we in, in this, uh, scenario?
1: I syndicate a lot of deals. Um, I really consider Sloan Capital a partnership group, you know, for 10 years I've started syndicating little deals and then that has gone into bigger deals and has gone into our restaurants. And so, yeah, I mean, we are Sloan Capital. It's not me. I have a team of a lot of people, you know, with our restaurants and everything like that, and our real estate. Um, it's a we game, and I'm very much in this game of trying to compound with the people around me for the next thirty or forty years. And so, we have investors that have been with us for ten years, and they are very much part of our success. Without them, we're not here. And uh, it's I think it's important to recognize that. My investors are my partners and they're helping us get to where we get. And I could own a lot of one or two buildings or I can own a smaller portion of a lot of buildings and I would rather take the, uh, the alternative.
0: Got it. Okay, well, I appreciate the, uh, the, the clarification. Two-part question is why did you sell when you did, which I can infer, but I'm just gonna leave it as a question, open-ended question. And then what is your thinking about the status of the real estate market it's not monolithic but you know what i'm getting at and you know what what do you sure. envision you know, here and then the next year, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah.
1: So when I buy real estate deals, I'm I'm looking for an exit plan. It's never about owning something forever. It's about where do I think that I can make money at. So a lot of times I'm buying properties that are slightly under market rents, or maybe the building needs a little bit of love or whatever it might be. But essentially when you stabilize those rents and stabilize those tenants or the building gets to the condition that it should, you should be looking for an exit. And in 2022 and 2021, we were served up some really early exits at really, you know, prices we didn't think would happen. And if you buy a building at an eight cap and you can sell it at a six cap, you don't have to do a lot of work to, you know, make 80% on your money. Um, And, you know, the reality is in commercial real estate, it's not like residential where it appreciates just to appreciate, you know, in commercial, there are things that you can do to make an asset appreciate, you can get a better lease, you can get a longer lease, you can get a better quality tenant, et cetera. And we had accomplished a lot of those things and then had people with 3% money that were willing to pay us, you know, low cap rates on record rents. And that means that I would have to hold the building again to continue getting record rents and hope for record low cap rates again. And our interest rates, you know, the government's been very clear and very loud about what they're planning on doing with interest rates. They've said it for two years that we are going to have higher interest rates for longer than anyone wants. And so I think two years from now, to wrap up where I think we're going, I think two years from now, you're going to have a lot of commercial landlords that bought things at 3% interest and they haven't been able to get the rent increases and the occupancy and all these magical things that they thought were going to happen. They're going to struggle and then they're going to have to go and refi those properties back at six, seven, eight percent. And all of a sudden those deals won't pencil. And I'm hearing it already of cash in refinances. I'm hearing of multifamily owners that are getting new property tax things and, and, or assessments and new insurance premiums. And they, they, their deals aren't even penciling because of those. So if you take lowering rents, occupancy, raising property taxes, raising, uh, insurance, all these kind of things, uh, I think we played a really big game of hot potato. And I'm going to go beat the out of the people, um, that, are holding the potato because they did it out of greed and they did it for no reason other than I'm going to buy a property and put a lick of paint on it and up the rents by 30%. And we've seen people that have lived in these buildings that have worked in these buildings and had their landlords just you know pass it off to the next REIT and they up their rent 20% and they pass it to the next one. They up the rent. Well, guess what? The, the, the game of hot potato is over. And if you hold the potato, you're going to have to rent it. You can't chase that record rent anymore because you're gonna have to get occupancy. You know, and, and during COVID, we saw such little inventory which chased the market up. But just wait until we see, you know, less sales. Commercial transactions are down 70% in our country. You know, less people are opening businesses now and the government's doing that intentionally. So that's the time that we go in and take advantage of those kind of deals. And that's why that's why this next phase for me, I'm so dialed in on our our debt-free restaurants, because we can go take advantage of these situations where there's retail being built everywhere, but now people aren't filling it. Guess what? We got a nationwide brand, debt-free, go in there, landlords love us, and they're giving us better deals than we were, we've ever gotten. When you
0: say commercial volume down 70%, are you talking just from, from a macro perspective or are you talking about certain asset classes?
1: From a, from a general macro perspective, they're down 70%. Within there, there's still some good ones. Within that, there's there's still good markets, all that kind of stuff. But in general... Across the country, transactions are down, right? So people aren't selling as many properties. They're not 1031-ing as much. They're not signing as many leases. Um, We just know that it's slowed down. And I mean, when it slows down, that also means that all the realtors stop getting paid, the mortgage loan officers, the appraisers, everybody stops getting paid when this happens and it's going to get really you know i've already seen my phone is blowing up with realtors that are trying to get transactions whereas 2 years ago you know call me and you're lucky if you get that space and now they're begging me to get in there and i think that we're going to see a lot more of that i mean i i know a lot of landlords that are watching their apartment rents drop a little bit and their occupancy go up a little bit but if you change you know if you take some a deal that penciled 18 months ago And you change it to a little bit lower rents, a little bit more occupancy, and a little bit worse of a cap rate. And that deal is destroyed. Yeah, You know, I mean, you literally can lose 30% of your money off of those three little moves in two seconds. And people, you know, it'll be interesting to see if by the time the debt cycle comes up, whether they've been able to restabilize those properties. And I don't think most of them are going to be able to.
0: Do do you think that this applies to certain assets, what you did, kind of the dynamic that you're describing? Do
1: you think it applies to certain asset classes more than others? Yes, for sure. So I think multifamily... Um, you know, if we look at what was built over the last couple of years and still what's coming on the market, it's very rarely like nicely affordable places that anyone can, right? It's always the high end, four grand a month, every amenity, beautiful buildings, right? It's not the $800 a month that, you know, or a thousand dollar a month places that most people want. It's the really high end. And so if you look at a lot of markets around the country, we still have Four to seven, even 10% more multifamily units that are being built right now in markets where the rents are already dropping. So, what happens when you add a bunch more supply into a market that's already dropping, right? That's opportunity. But the exact same thing is happening in strip malls. Um, you know, retail and multifamily is where I focus a lot of my attention because that tells you a lot about the consumers. And in retail, we're going to see something different. And it's gonna be really painful, whereas there's a lot of people that started businesses over the last two years, and they paid record rents and took out big loans, And all because it was so exciting and free money and, you know, let's start our own business and people retired from COVID, all that kind of stuff. But now all of a sudden, you know, they're realizing that owning a business is hard and maybe they signed a lease that wasn't in their best interest. And now all of a sudden, you know, they get tired having to go in at seven in the morning and all of a sudden their staff calls in and they're, you know, so nationwide people are getting behind on rents. You know, the business metrics aren't working out as well as they thought. And, you know, on top of that, you see our government raising rates to the point where a credit line is eight, nine, 10%. You know, if you're running a business with thin margins and now you've got that much interest, it's going to be really hard to want to expand. And that's where we're going to that's where we're going to swoop in there and, and get some really amazing deals in the next couple of years and be positioned for a long time. I like the way you think. OK, you, when you say nationwide,
0: people are getting behind on their rents. Cause I'm just, I'm just following what you're saying. I'm copiously writing notes. You're, 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 you're very, very. I'm a
1: data guy. So I'm a da- a lot of what I talk about is the data and then how that data tells a story, right? We know nationwide that people are more, they have more credit card debt than they've ever had, right? That naturally is going to hurt people's ability to pay higher rents. We know that people have higher car payments and they're most behind on car payments that they've been since the great financial crisis. So how can you tell me that we can go add more expensive units, more expensive everything, and that people out there will handle it? You know, saving rates are dropping. People are dipping into their 401ks. This is all very clear data that's out there every month. And so we have to look at the data and it tells us a story, right? The story is telling us that consumers are hurting. You know, we've raised prices on them so fast when wages haven't gone up that fast. And when you go into stores, food is 50% more expensive and everything is so much more expensive, but people aren't making that money. And so there's a story being told and the government's telling you the story very loud and clear. We have to crush the economy. We have to get 2 million people to lose their jobs in order to, t- to tame this inflation and to get it back down to the point where everyday people can afford places to live. Well, guess what? If you own expensive real estate, you're literally being told by the world's superpower that they need your prices to come down. I don't want to go against them. I'd rather sell it to somebody and they can go against them, and I'll come back and buy it in eight cap in a year or two. Okay. <laughs> And when
0: you're saying that people are behind in rents, right, does that include, and when you were talking about it in that context, were you talking about, that sounds like, yes, clearly, you know, the renters in, in residential renters, does, does that apply to retail as well?
1: Yes, absolutely. If you look at the most recent Bloomberg report, there was the most delinquencies um, and the most people behind in retail, in the, that it's been in the last couple of years.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Uh, not a, a pretty picture, unless you've got you know money, uh, you got dry powder, and you're you're ready to pounce.
1: Yeah, but unfortunately, like I said, so many people started their first business, you know, thinking the economy is great forever, and they signed big expensive leases, and you know, and are now having to put the pieces together afterwards. But you know, that's part of cycles. Part, part, part of
0: cycles. Very, very, very interesting. And so what are prices now relative to values? Is there still a bid ask uh, delta? Or are people starting to get realistic or not yet?
1: Yeah, so right now, especially, I think the same in commercial and in residential. In residential, you need to sell your house for quite a bit more in order to be able to go afford something else that's still kind of high. But the problem right now in residential and also in commercial is that people are stuck. You know, if you bought a house for 300000 at 3%, now it's worth 400000 but would be 8% or 7%, you know, that's a whole different payment, right? A whole different ballpark. And the same thing is kind of happening in retail, where people bought and they expected to be able to get these really high rents. But at the end of the day, in strip malls, uh, specifically in strip malls, the, the building only works if the tenants inside make money. You know, my tenants are my partners. If I charge a restaurant 15 grand in rent, but they only get 60 grand in sales, I can't charge them 25% rent to sale ratio, right? They'll be out of business in no time because there's no money to pay your staff and pay your food and pay your utilities and everything else. So at the end of the day, when I'm going and I'm looking at strip malls, I'm looking at a couple different things. First of all, what is your rent compared to everyone around you? You know, If you're at 26 bucks and your neighbor's at 22, well, if you go out of business, I'm probably not going to be able to re-rent for 26 bucks. Well, if there's vacancy all around at 22, now I might not even be re-rent for 18 or 20. So that's something that can really drop the value of a building if you have your rents drop 20, 30%, right? So I'm, I'm looking at that. But then most importantly, I'm looking at the stability of the tenants inside of there. What are the odds that they're going to be able to make it? You know, a mom and pop restaurant. How long have they, I love mom and pop? restaurants. the backbone of our country. Is this your first one or have you been there 10 years? Do you care about it or do you not? You know, there's so many people that have little businesses and stuff. Are they there every day? Do they want it to be successful? Because if I've got properties where we have vacancy all over the place and people going out of business all over the place, that doesn't want to draw people into my properties. It doesn't make them want to take a risk on that. So the more that we can stabilize the more that we can make them successful the more that we can make the strip mall beautiful and attractive and when people come there they get the service that they want with a great tenant mix that we can rinse and repeat at at scale. Do you have a
0: personal predisposition based on your experience to, you know, as as things kind of shift in it because of all the dynamics that you so eloquently have articulated? Do you have a personal preference for an asset class to pounce on in the next, you know, 12 to 24 months or whatever from an operational, from where there's real opportunity. I mean, are you in your gut, in your gut, do you just love strip centers because it's, you know, you it's easier to manage a tenants, there are fewer of them. You know, I'm making this stuff up, you know, versus sure. multifamily, et cetera. Like what's your preference?
1: Yeah. I, so I love retail in general, just because I love small business. You know, at the end of the day, like I am a small business person and yes, we're turning this into a big business, but doing it the small business type of way. And I think that we need more and more small business owners. And I love strip malls, right? Everyone gets their hair cut, everyone gets their nail done, everyone needs a quick place to grab a bite. Like we, You can fill these strip malls forever and ever. And as long as you give people fair and reasonable places to do business, they'll stay there forever. And then I like it even more because I don't have to worry about getting a call at two in the morning that the sump pump backed up or there's a leaky, you know, toilet over here or whatever. And rather than doing a year lease, we're doing five year leases, sometimes 15 or 20 year leases on some of these properties. And so we're going, we're, we're creating a bigger, longer relationship. And then going into that battle together. And, and, you know, sometimes do we run into issues? Sure, you have someone drive through the front of a strip mall or a storm comes through or this or that or whatever. But that's where the partnership comes in, right? How do we get that building back to the point where the tenants can be successful? And I'm a landlord, you know, I'm a landlord to a lot of buildings, but I'm also a tenant to a lot of buildings, you know? And so a lot of times I have a problem, you know, we have one of our restaurants that didn't have a working um, restroom for three months because they had to tear out all of the plumbing out of the back. The landlord didn't do a single thing for us. You know what they did? They parked a huge portable restroom, fully air conditioned, whatever, right in front of our spot for three months. Is that tenant friendly? Is that something that helps me stay in business and be successful? No, but you know what? When something like that happens at one of my buildings, I can be better. You know, we can set that up more for success. We can have more of a conversation and make sure it's not one-sided in the same way that I've been treated by some of my landlords. And I think if we do that for the next 20, 30 years, um, continually making better decisions and working with the tenants and finding ways to be more successful. I mean, I've, I've seen how much it's compounded in this last 10, just wait and see how we go for the next 2030.
0: Just so you know, I've actually invested in some script centers. So I, I get what you're saying. And that's selfishly why I'm asking these questions. I, <laughs> I, 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 I buy, I buy what you're saying in a, in a big way. So will you, you know, I guess in the next, you know, whatever the time frame is, year, two years, whatever, as things get, you know, more and more enticing to, to acquire, will you do multifamily or you pretty much have your heart set on, you know, just strip centers?
1: I'm not sure I'm ready to fully commit. I will probably go wherever there's the most blood uh, in, in a weird way. Uh, I did it in single families back in the day, and then moved on to to retail. I mean, I know retail like the back of my hand. You know, I know these markets. I'm in these strip centers, um, so I think it's gonna. You know, my my next phase is to really hit the gas pedal on these restaurants. You know, we're using private dollars, so they're debt free. So every time that we open, we know about X months later they start putting off X amount of cash flow kind of like development deals, right? You go and you buy the land and you get the plans and you open the thing and you fill the, bit the building and then you begin to get distributions, right? Same idea that I'm doing on the restaurants. We just privately fund them. We find the spaces, we build them out, we open them, we get to X amount of sales and we begin to monetize. And so that's my main focus the next couple of years, because when nobody else can open businesses because they're paying big dollars and high interest rates, we're going in there. And I mean, if you're a landlord that has some occupancy and you get a nationwide debt free concept, you know, of a really beautiful, awesome brand, if you get an LOI for that, you are drooling right now. And so that's how we're positioning ourselves to make landlords really want us and to be rolling out the red carpet. We're getting better leases than we ever have. We're getting more TI. We're getting more free rent because these landlords overbuilt and they're holding the hot potato right now. And and I'm not being mean about it, but I'm going them and saying, hey, listen, your property was $26 a square foot two years ago. Why is it worth $34 a square foot right now? Oh, because I bought it from someone at thirty dollars a square. That doesn't mean anything. Just cause you bought it from someone at something doesn't mean the market will handle that. And so we get to have a conversation that says, do you want a tenant or no tenant? And when you take a city like Dallas that's a hundred miles across and seven and a half million people, There's plenty of landlords out there that are finding that they really want to get a good quality tenant. And whether it's this one or a mile down the road, we're finding those deals all over the place and getting, you know, it's setting our investors up for success for years and years and years to come.
0: Okay. Well, you know, for the sake of the audience, and this is probably, this is on me as a, your your humble interviewer here. I didn't establish up front for the audience that you're doing a restaurant concept entrepreneurially right now, so sure. I'm going to take this moment to have you say what is the restaurant concept, <laughs> and so that there will Fair be enough. context, and that's on me. So go ahead. So what's the restaurant concept yeah, sure. and all
1: that? I love it. So yeah. So I um, so during the middle of COVID, you know, when every business was shutting down, I found a really cool company out of San Diego called EverBowl. Um, and if anyone's familiar with acai bowls, um, you know, this is a bowl, this is a bowl of stuff that's been around forever. So I call it like Chipotle, of fruit, um, Drew Brees owns a, a good chunk of the company and has the rights to a number of States. And then I bought the rights to that company for Texas and Iowa. And so again, kind of when everyone was chasing the, you know, higher rents and lower cap rates, I decided to go in on the cash flowing business. Um, and if you zoom out a little bit, if you go back to how I originally built my wealth, I built it with cell phones, used that money to buy, uh, real estate when real estate was depressed and then held it until it went up. And I'm actually doing the exact same thing right now. I am, I'm actively building a cash flowing debt free business that we're going to be able to go in and take advantage of these depressed real estate values and these higher cap rates than we've been able to get in the past. So I think you're going to see me buying the strip malls that I'm in again. I think you're going to see me putting a fund together of going and buying a lot of this kind of stuff. And um, you know, we're very, very actively paying attention to all sorts of stuff in the market, and and through that, know when the right deals, the right price, right price points, um, they'll be served to us on a silver silver platter. We've got a amazing network that wants to bring us these deals and and we'll put them together when the time's right.
0: Okay. And you you won't just be acquiring strip centers where you're operating your restaurants, you'll buy strip centers wherever the deal is, correct? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And then, you know, what I've been told is in in part of the thesis for why strip centers are so uh, appealing is because there actually has been very, very little new strip centers being built since 0809 and so there's there's a but but you saying that they actually have been is that mostly in Texas just where it's just been boom just been boom town
1: So it really, it really depends. But when you get into outskirts and future expansion places, a lot of these strip malls were built at 2020 prices, you know, and when building, you know, they bought the land for the most amount of money. And then they, um, you know, also built the building for the most amount of money because everyone was chasing this 2022, you know, 2023 early delivery date. Well, now we're in that delivery date phase starting a business is a lot harder. Interest rates are a lot more expensive. The economy is a lot more uncertain. Inflation is up through the roof. Um, And so, you know, a lot of what we're seeing right now is that the new stuff that's coming on the market is priced to a point where so many of these businesses in them, you know, cannot afford these rents. And one thing that I know really, really well is the financials behind a lot of nationwide brands, you know, and... What rent can you pay with what concept? Because for us, you know, our rent to sales ratio is a lot of our determinant of success. And uh, we need to make sure that we're getting good leases and we're getting, you know, favorable terms. And I know all across the country that people have jumped into these deals. And as they get higher property taxes, higher insurance, these, you know, unfavorable leases, it's going to be it's going to be struggle town for a while.
0: Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So on the, on the restaurants being debt free, you know, when you start a new restaurant, uh, my understanding is the build out can be and you know, there's obviously a gigantic range here, starting with how, how much space it is, but also, you know, to, to the degree of appointments, but isn't, isn't for that concept, isn't a build out, gosh, I don't know, a few hundred grand.
1: Nope. Uh, so that's where we have v- vertically integrated the entire company where we actually mass produce the stores in San Diego. And then all we have to do is vanilla box the space. We fly out a crew from San Diego. They put together the entire store in three days and we're able to do it for about half the price of our competitors.
0: So, in how, And where does that land at? What's, what would the price be? We
1: can open an entire restaurant with some runway signage, build out everything for right around 200 grand.
0: And so when you say there's no debt, well, I, I guess the question is, are you are franchising out to franchisee or a franchisor? You're not, you're yes or no?
1: So yes and no. I own the rights to the state of Texas. So I'm opening stores, but then I'm also selling franchisees to other people that want to own stores. And like in DFW, you know, I'm opening one this month. I've got a franchisee opening one next month and two months later, I'm opening another one. And we're getting ready to do that in Austin and other places as well. But what I do is I raise money for three restaurants, and uh, you know we put them into an LLC, and we go out, we sign the leases, and we open them. And again, rather than having debt of going to a bank and paying four or five grand a month in a you know a note payment, we are able to distribute that to our investors instead. And so we're going at a much faster speed. You know, when I got into real estate, it was three bed, one bath, slab homes with one or two stall garages. And I knew that if I could find those, I could, you know, put A and B together and that would be my rent. And essentially restaurants are the same way. I am looking for X amount of square feet anchored by X amount. And if I know that I can get that, then I can build a restaurant for X cost and that makes me X income. And now it's a matter of how many times can we do it?
0: You're just, you're not taking on debt is your point. You're just paying everything with cash from the money you raise. You got you're it. syndicating and you're just not taking debt on. Okay.
1: Yep. So, so we are not dead bur- Debt. Burdened through
0: this next couple of years of growth. Okay, so y- y- somebody that you franchise out to might be taking on debt for their build out, but that's but that doesn't really sure. matter to you because you, you.
1: Well, but they also might be working in the restaurant and have some different, op- you know, some different opportunities to get more margin. I'm doing it on a larger scale, so naturally our net margins will be a little thinner, but our dollar amounts will be higher. Whereas someone that works in the store themselves will have higher margins because they're going to save some of those expenses and save some of that um, but it will be on a lower dollar amount so there's two business models you know it's much kind of like a if you want to house hack versus being a big landlord of not living in it right um, and the if you house hack you might have better margins but you're gonna have to go and fix the toilets and all this kind of stuff whereas if you you know own a bunch of complexes you're going to hire a management team and be able to do it at a lot higher scale and that's essentially we have a management team of restaurant people. And they grow this with us.
0: Okay. You're, you're, you're a guy that's not afraid of doing things, Justin. Um,
1: <laughs> so <laughs> a body in motion stays in motion.
0: I can't sit still. I, I, I get it. Well, you know, in, you were talking about, you know, you try to retire, you're playing golf. And one of the best quotes I've read in the last decade is that is that um, happiness is not derived through pleasure. Happiness is derived through achievement and accomplishment. So there you are on the golf course thinking, oh my God, this is what I've been working for my whole life, whatever, even though you're still relatively young and there you are bored and, and it's not what you thought it would be. And I think we're just humanly, we're, we're engineered to need to get to do things and accomplish things in order to feel fulfilled. So, okay. Anyway, so so there you were, uh, you, you you exited the, the cell phone stores, uh, you exited real estate, the restaurant concept. Did you, were you looking for a franchise concept specifically when you came across this company in San Diego? How did that all come together?
1: No, uh, weird enough in January of 2021, kind of the whole world was shut down. And a buddy of mine sends out a message saying, you know, a lot of us own real estate and businesses and different things and the world is really weird right now. Why don't we get together for a couple days in Phoenix and just talk? You know, because everything at that point was just kind of scary to get out. We just felt like getting humans together. um, It was time. And uh, actually, the person that ran the event rented out the Diamondback Stadium in Phoenix. And Fenster, actually the CEO of Everbowl, set up an Everbowl on the first baseline. And we were hitting with players and just, you know, kind of relaxing because it was the first time in in a long time that people kind of got to just decompress and be around some other people and talk about the problem. Rather than going and fixing everything, we could really have a t- time to relax and talk. And, um, and that's when I got to taste Everbowl for the first time and meet the CEO. And I still, you know, at that point, and even still now, I still own a lot of real estate. Real estate will always be a part of my life, but I do think it's important that it doesn't have to be the only piece or that I feel like I have to buy every year forever. And over the last year, I've really felt convicted that buying at record rents and record low cap rates is, is a disservice to my investors. And if I want to do this for the next 40 years, I better be ready to explain every buying decision. And going and buying off of things that I don't think I can rent for more, I don't think I can sell for a lower cap rate, didn't make sense.
0: <laughs> Who could argue with that? I totally, totally get it. Very, very interesting and so refreshingly logical, Um, unbelievable. Uh, Well, what would you say, you know, looking back over the things that you've done and are doing, what would you say are key lessons you've learned?
1: I think you said earlier that I like to do things and i think that that's a really important lesson for anyone that's getting started is you, we can read all that we want we can you know listen to every podcast we can do all that kind of stuff but at some point we need to go do and confidence and growth comes from going and doing things you know if i read about flipping a house whereas if i try and flip a house you know i'm going to learn a lot more by going in and doing it than i am from reading a book about it now the first now and then we have to understand that the first time is going to be rough you know i mean i remember september of 2021 when i opened my first restaurant and now we're opening one a month right but i don't get to the point of opening one a month if we don't stumble through that first one i mean we literally had to someone had to drive from san diego to dallas in a freezer truck so that we could have our items there for opening day it was that rough, our first opening. But you know what? We got better and better and better. And now it's a system. And we help other people in that system. And we just keep on going. And that snowball grows. But if you sit there and never start the snowball, if you just sit there and read about how to build a snowball, it never happens. So get out there and start some stuff and go. And you'll be surprised how quickly, you know, get a couple scratches, get a couple bruises and be like, oh, it's not so bad. I can, I'll can, i get better next time, better next time. And if you continue to get better every single time, watch out.
0: Ultimately, uh, the best way to learn is to do. What would you say is, uh, and by the way, these have all been intentionally very softball, easy, fuzzy questions leading up to the only hard question of the interview. And are you ready? Are you ready for that? I'm ready. ready. Okay. What is something people don't know about you?
1: Hmm. I'm kind of the kind of person that wears my heart on my sleeve. And I usually tell people, The way that I am, so I don't know if there's a lot of things that people don't know about me. I think one thing people find when they listen to podcasts is that I'm pretty serious, and in business meetings, I'm very serious. But I actually love to just have a great time. You know, I think that having great relationships and and having fun and making sure that as we're going through this business that we need to make sure that we're enjoying the process. And so I, I think the biggest thing. Um, now when I think about it and I think about people that meet me for the first time after reading th- or listening or whatever, they're always like, you, you like to have fun. I'm like, yeah, of course. Like why in the world do we want to go through this all serious? So I would say the one thing that is making sure as we're going through this, that we have fun and enjoy ourselves. And it doesn't all have to be business. We need to make sure we enjoy the process of creating these businesses and have fun and go out, explore new things, uh, enjoy life throughout it. You
0: have a family? I do.
1: Okay. Got it.
0: Okay. Kids. How many? I do. two, Two. Okay. All right, last question. this is an easy one. What is your favorite podcast if you listen to podcasts? Ooh,
1: that's a good one. I've got a couple of different ones. You know I think you know Dan Fleischman just started uh, Money Mondays, uh, which he's got some really great guests and I've known Dan for 15 years. Bigger pockets obviously for real estate, anything that you can find different people. you know Jimmy Rex has some really intimate conversations with different people. I like some of the ones that not everybody's probably gonna say. And honestly, Roger, I've listened to a lot of your episodes and different things. And I think it's it's just really good to have not just the same guests everywhere, but learning from different people and different ways of talking to them and appreciate different people um, that are able to get those answers out of people. Got it. Uh, Justin, if somebody wants to learn more about what
0: you're doing, perhaps participate, become a partner, how would they do that?
1: Yeah, so our website, sloan-capital.com, tells a little bit about what we're doing, and there's a reach out link there. Um, LinkedIn uh, is pretty easy, Sloan Capital on there. Or actually, I started uh, weirdly doing Instagram about two years ago. And I found that our investors love to see it as we're walking through the stores and we're demoing a place and we're grand opening. And so through Instagram, we're able to visually show how we're spending the dollars. So I, I love to connect with people through there at Sloan Capital. All the time we're talking about our grand openings, we're showing the process of building a business, showing the process of walking through a, a building and and taking it from being something ugly to being something beautiful. And, uh, and I love to connect with people on social. Got it. Justin, this has been, uh, it's, it's first thing Monday morning for
0: me is an eight o'clock podcast. And man, you're, you, you are an inspirational guy. Look, I, 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 my hands off to you. Good, good for you. Uh, you're going to be, well, you have already been immensely successful and will continue to be, uh, I want to do this with you in a year or so. Uh, let's do it again. Let's do it. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon.